Hey, so welcome to our podcast. Hey, good to have you over, Sushi. Oh, who's who's the host? You're the host. Okay, yeah, this is your place. You we are the host. Hosts, but someone okay, would have let's, to. Let's cut. Okay, let's start now. This hey, horrible. <laughs> oh, that was the actual recording. I was recording. Oh, I was just messing around, and now we've started. But this is still a test, right? We're just testing. It starts at the point that we wanted to start. Right. So we should do a three, like Joe Rogan, a three, two, one, and we're live <laughs> from sunny Palikaranai. Um Oh yeah, oh, literally we, we, we're recording. Yeah, we are. So then the, uh, when are we bring that mic in? We'll do that as the second part of the recording. Oh, just to see the difference? So what I'm going to do is I've noticed that you're speaking... With more projection. Okay. I'm move this closer to, to me. you. That makes sense. Just so that um, it's it, it kind of out. balances out. Now I'm a little too loud. Okay. Okay. Right. This makes sense. Is this okay? And uh, yes, 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 yes. Ah, there's a difference, right? Yeah. Yeah, there is a difference from when I go here to when I come here to when I go here. So I will need to sit like this. Up and down. So the mic is here, mm. and you want to speak as directly into, that. into it as okay. possible. Okay, so you're actually the host today. Why? Well, because you have something prepared, is what I'm assuming. Uh, no, I just have a conversation. Okay, if we want so to start. Yeah. Uh, Maybe we tell everyone what parkour is in the first place. I'm totally unprepared for this. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's the point. <coughs> point A to B, right? Moving from point A to B. Hold on a second. No, hmm. I, I'm um, not that unprepared. <laughs> I do have notes coming off my mouth. Huh. Okay. Um, we have to... If you hear an auto going past mm. or somebody yelling and screaming and all that, mm. you just give it a pause. Just stop where you are. Okay. So that we'll you continue can... once they've gone past. Okay. I'm going to get your water. Okay. And mine. Okay. So you should do the clap again, man. All this we don't yeah. need to record anyway. Well, we, we need to record. Why? Records. Want to hear the outtakes? I've started a new recording just now. Mm. This is us drinking water. Us drinking water, yes. <laughs> Are you doing that on purpose? <laughs> How will they hear that? That was loud as hell. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Cans right. on. Yes. Let's get wound up and yep. let's get started. Right. So, Sushil, what are we talking about today? Paco. Paco. That I'm what very is clear Paco? about. Yes, that's my question to you. What's Paco? <coughs> what is Paco? Could it be something to do with parks? <laughs> oh, God. Okay, let's get the dictionary definition out of the way. Okay. Moving from point A to B as efficiently 
or creatively. This is where the the argument comes in parkour versus uh, free running. Um, so moving from point A to point B as efficiently, let's say, as possible. But that doesn't really get it get the point of Would parkour. Would that mean across. like taking a cycle and going from one point to A? Right. Maybe. So then getting from so point A to point B using your you body say, alone. Um, uh, probably something like a discipline where people train um, to move as quickly and efficiently as possible from one point to another. Right. Um, without any other mechanical aids. Right. Yeah, that works. Otherwise, I suppose roller skates, roller blades would really be more efficient. Yeah. And, and it's also made up of a whole bunch of moves. Right. People end up to get over the obstacles that inevitably come in your way from point A to point B. Yeah. Over the decades, people have come up with moves. Yeah. And a lot of that is inspired from martial arts movement, mm. from gymnastics, um, acrobatics. Right. But people try to um, take the efficient aspects of that. Mm. And make use of those as much as possible. <clears throat> now, but when you Google parkour, hmm. you see people jumping from one building to another. Yes. So. That's what, jumping. Parkour seems to be about jumping in the public eye, right? Yeah, very much. And especially jumping at heights and from one dangerous object to another. Okay. So, yes, well, well, that's one aspect of it. And that is um, that you get to see. Um, well, I, I think those clips are mm. mostly people challenging each other. The biggest challenges of their lives. Right. Because Paco is also about improving yourself. The philosophy behind it is about improving your ability to um, do something. So doing your regular training is not very interesting or impressive. It probably consists of um, doing repetitive jumps from one point to another again and again, mm. or going past a wall from one uh, point to another, just maybe a few feet. Right. And that's very unimpressive. Um, but what it does culminate in is uh, the ability to control your movement and when you're doing, when you're pushing the limits on your abilities is when you want to record that, right? Mm. So all these clips are probably people who have trained a lot, just trying to record their achievements mm. in movement. Um, and, and so we get to see only the highlight reel, as some people call it, of um, these guys' skills. Right. And even amongst the guys and girls posting, each of them are posting their highlights and the ones that trend are the best of those highlights. Absolutely. So yeah. you end up coming across freak athletes and their best, right? Not their best, yes. Ilibaka and um, who are a couple of the other ones? The two men I know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How did, how did you first come across Paco? Do you remember? I do. Um, I first came across parkour in... We're going to have to wait. I'm going to stop this. 
not the question. Yeah. So how did, how did you first come across parkour? So, um, I first came across parkour in the movie Yamakasi. Okay. And that was back in 2003. Um, no, maybe 2004. A friend of mine had brought over a DVD, uh, probably a CD saying, dude, you should listen, you you should watch this. It's really freaky, crazy stuff. And it turns out that there were these, um, it was a video of these seven guys who were climbing buildings and doing crazy stuff, moving like multi-story buildings, right? They're like several of them, like Spider-Man. On the outside of buildings. Right. Like maybe... Seven, eight stories, maybe even yeah. more than that, right? Yeah, yeah. That video, I remember. No, it's that. not seven, eight stories. Probably like twenty. Mm, it was a huge building. So, um, and doing crazy stuff. Um, there, it's it's kind of like a modern day Robin Hood kind of story, um, which is which is a little odd. It has stuff to do with owning up to your responsibilities and uh, setting a good example, things mm. like that. Mm. But um, overall, it uh, I ended up with that um, image in my head that Paco was about doing stuff like uh, impossible stuff, essentially. And it wasn't until maybe about... It wasn't until maybe about five years later that I realized that all these guys were actual athletes and they were actually doing this stuff. Um, and at that point, I realized that there were people who were talking about the discipline and how to start off on it from scratch. Mm. Start off just doing like doing five foot jumps and extending that to seven, eight feet and building up your strength and, um, you know, building up muscle memory and the skill to be able to do things. Um, so that's when I started training. Um, how did you find out about Paco? Sounds like you got to it. Yours is the highbrow version because I came across Paco in Casino Royale. There's that scene, right? The opening chase scene. Yeah. I remember watching all of that, getting into it. And then you and I met for a client meeting with Swami. Mm -hmm. This is with uh, Servercraft. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, yeah, Swami mentioned that you're, uh, you're into Paco. Okay. I forgot how I went from there to actual training. Um, Chennai Parkour, right? I mm-hmm. would have come and met, trained with you guys. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Parkour? The, yeah. It was. But I remember that you didn't really enjoy training in that scenario. No, no I didn't like. Uh, I'm too much of a loner. I mm. like training by myself. Mm. Um, whereas you went the other way, right? Like what I've noticed for you, it's training with others. That kept you going? Well, I'm not really sure about that. I do like the community aspect, but I generally tend to avoid training with others. Hmm. I don't mind being around others who are training. Okay. But I don't do much training by myself with others around. Why? Probably because of uh, comparison to them. Okay. And because of this, I kind of got a reputation of not being the person who's over there, but never training. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
This yeah, but this is where it comes in. I remember we had the uh, the French tracer Thomas, right? Mm-hmm. He came over and we were training with him. And in my mind, it had always been that if you train with people who are better than you, you can raise yourself to their level. Like you will grow. Absolutely, and I, I agree with that. Um, but that is also in the context of having that person guide you and correct you. Oh yes, no. So to finish my point, that that is good. But when we actually train with them, you realize that I realize that I can end up hurting myself trying to keep up with them. Absolutely. And uh, at some level, you wonder whether they're getting bored because they're slowing down for you. Yes. So yeah, I don't. I think the ma- your training part- partners matter. That match is important. That match is important. Um, the the gap is also important. Okay. So I would say that training by yourself is okay for a certain period of time, mm. but then to be able to grow, like you said, you need to have a gap between the skill of your training partner and yourself. Right. So. So that you can avoid mistakes, one. Hmm. Uh, second is to improve efficiency. Right. To learn from their learnings. Right. Otherwise, you could be repeating a loop of bad movement. Uh, right. And ingraining that in your muscle memory. Yeah. Um, and also, community is important, I think, in most sports and activities. Um, in parkour, I think, for me at least, it's more important than... Um, other aspects of parkour, which is very odd. <laughs> but for me, uh, the community is important in the sense that um, more than other sports, probably um, I've come across this the most in others, uh, more than in any other sports, that communities help each other and help each other to improve and grow. Mm-hmm. And it's a rather nice community to have to be a part of because it extends not just from one city to another but also from one country to another Mm. so we've played host to um quite a few tracers from different communities and we see that there are people in other countries who are happy to reciprocate Mm. so that's interesting parkour yeah this brings up an important point of parkour and identity I remember my dad pointing out that when I first started that this is sort of some a group that you can belong to. Uh, and I remember that quote, um, Paco is a religion and David Bell is God. <laughs> and I disagree as, with that. As he, yeah, okay. I disagree. <laughs> we can get into the, the politics of Paco is equally interesting. But the point being that, uh, especially when I first started out, I don't think it's, this is limited to just parkour, but when you first start out and you watch those videos that we referenced, right, the really fancy ones, I had this dream that I'd be able to do them. And I believed I would be able to do all the, the wall runs and the, the Kongs and all of that. And uh, I remember my dad saying, but you do realize these guys are athletes, right? And I, I didn't care. Like in my mind, I can do these things. And I'm sure, I I mean, if we trained, we could. But the point being is there was that excitement of this group of people who are being physically active, doing things that seem impressive, and that I can now belong to the group. I'm wondering whether you had the same experience, because 
you, I mean, you're going to deny this, but you helped build the parkour community in Chennai. If it wasn't, I'm not saying that you were the best tracer. So you, I mean, I'm helping you agree now <laughs> because I, I know I'm you're, not, I'm not you're waiting anything. to deny. Okay. I'm not denying. So then let me just go, go at it. You helped build the parkour community in Chennai and reaching out to, um, people abroad and even uh, with Mumbai, right? Mumbai parkour, you, you helped. Parkour Mumbai. Parkour Mumbai. Um, two different groups of parkour, uh, uh, practitioners here in Chennai. Um, you, you, you help them both at different, at different points. So for you, community was definitely important, but maybe you experienced it differently, right? It's definitely. So for me, um, let me get, probably it makes sense to get into the, um, circumstances under which I actually started training parkour. So I was spending a good 16 hours a day sitting in front of a computer, designing websites and writing code for websites. And that's the circumstance under which I found myself um, researching parkour and how to train parkour. And I started coming across these videos and forums where people were talking about parkour and how you can start and how to refine your movement on this. There were people who had trained for three years, five years, ten years, and they were over the internet. This community essentially grew over the internet. Um, so that's an important point. Not just the internet, but YouTube. It no. wouldn't have spread without YouTube, right? YouTube is important, but uh, there were forums uh, that were, were even of, yeah. much more yeah. important because people who. I can show you conversations that go on for hundreds of pages um, of forum pages. Where that you were part of? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, I, I wasn't part of that conversation, but I was following that conversation. What were you guys talking about? Different stuff, like what is parkour and then the, um, the politics of parkour mm. and uh, the history of parkour and why is David Bell so silent and stuff like that. Uh, bring it's up David amazing. Bell David Bell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we need to get into David Bell. I, I didn't realize no, there no, was no. so much emotion. We will not get into David Bell. <laughs> Why? Because he's not getting into it's it. It's too so. late. We've already got into he's it. He's gone. He's gone. By gone meaning he's washed his hands and well, he, he's he, left. He okay, so David stuff, Bell. We're oh, not wait, wait, wait. About David so, Bell. so, so in case people haven't heard about uh, Paco, David Bell is the quote unquote founder of Paco. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> No, now I'm genuinely curious. What did he do that was so bad? He turned his back on Paco. Is that what pissed people off? Okay, so Shil is shaking his head. <laughs> He's refusing to engage. I remain silent. We on this will. Matter. We will. Uh, we will get we into will it later. Approach it. Uh, we'll get into it later. later but we'll after we it. have a discussion in uh, off off the record. Okay, fine. I will tell you everything we did off the record. <laughs> Don't worry. No, you won't, because I'm editing this. <laughs> Good point. Um, okay, so community, the uh, forums. You were talking about discussing the politics of parkour. and Yeah, so, um, well, all of that is fine. But um, there was stuff like nutrition. There was stuff like um, plyometric training. Mm. There were a lot of different aspects that we hadn't heard of as non-athletes. Right. I was definitely a non-athlete. I was a person who had not uh, trained in any sort of physical activity other than cycling a little bit every day, mm. maybe about 10 kilometers every day. <clears throat> now, um, 
being able to ask questions and having people who had uh, contact with the originators of parkour being able to explain um the physical aspect the mental aspect the psychology the reasoning behind each of these things um explain hand placements and things like that mm. was a huge benefit youtube is probably important um in spreading parkour mm. but i don't think youtube was as um important when it came to forming communities okay i think the forums did a lot more for that um and after that once parkour became more mainstream and people were traveling from one place to another to to actually practice and train in parkour then it became actual physical communities but it started definitely online and um the community here in india started off um channels like orkut orkut mm yes i remember orkut so we used to plan practice sessions and stuff on orkut and we tell people we're training in this spot at mm. this time on this day um come and join mm. and that's how this community started and um well today i think community is more apparent as the parkour community is more active on instagram than any other platform but it still is an online community in 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 many ways um but here's a question so this is so you were involved in these forums but then you helped set up and and popularize chennai parkour yes now did the other people in the group they all trained Did, mm-hmm. were they part of forums the same way you were no now is that a language thing or an interest thing both okay because because they they enjoyed training together so they appreciated the community yeah. but they didn't engage with the community the way you did right no so um speaking to people from other parts of india as well as uh, reaching out to um other communities across the world was not something that anybody else to my knowledge did. Hmm. I think um a couple of people did. Um again, I'm not 100% sure. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think the uh the one of the things that confused me at least initially i remember when we joined there was no clear training routine like people were figuring it out on the fly so i remember when i joined um they had us doing well they were practicing kongs which is a, a form of jumping i mean you can google it but i remember i didn't have the strength or the flexibility or any of that and i sensed that immediately like as soon as they told me to do that my learning style was just different so i think one of the things that frustrated me about the community is that what they were doing that seemed to work for them wasn't working for me correct because we had a group of people who had learned stuff and for the most part these were people who are athletically yes, gifted towards the athlete side of the spectrum yeah, yeah. 
And I was not um, a part of that. And I, till date, have not done a Kong. Hmm. Because first, I realized that I don't have the strength to do it. Hmm. Second, I realized that I don't have the confidence to do it. And that's a different thing altogether. Right. Um, having the strength, flexibility, all of that might be there. But it is essentially launching yourself at a wall mm. where you might <laughs> knock your knee. Yes. Clip your ankle, um, knock your or, knee. You know, if face you, if you, plant if you yeah, don't. Face plant, very much, yeah. very much a possibility. Now, um, well, you also have to develop the confidence that you're probably going to land on your face at some point of time. And right. that's just the reality of parkour. I remember asking, um, I think, was it uh, one of the guys that had come over, what about wearing uh, protective gear? There seems I still to laugh be, at that. Yes, you, I still I, laugh well, at that. you may have openly laughed at that. I think this guy, Thomas was a little more um, polite about it. <laughs> Thomas is, no, because he has considered all of this thing, all of this very seriously. But so, I remember, he, the, the, uh, I don't know if it was Thomas or someone, um, a video I watched, but they were saying that ideally you don't want to be practicing a move that you don't think you can do. So the idea is you build up to it. Absolutely. So at any given point, you're practicing a move where you don't really need a helmet because I, I can do this. I think I can do this. Yeah. Uh, I, so I guess this is that. progression progressively in increasing your abilities mm. until you are confident that you will be able to surpass or at least achieve what you're trying to achieve. And that means um, even when you're doing a Kong, you start off with a monkey vault. Right. And yeah. then you slowly raise your hips mm. until you're able to go there. So you don't just start off a Kong right. immediately. Right. But I remember that many of the jams that we had we had people asking who had never, we had asked people who had never done stuff remotely close to this to do a monkey vault and then attempt a Kong. Mm. And getting back to the point of why we were doing that is because we were people who had been, at, I mean, the community as such was athletically gifted. Mm. And these are people who found all of these movements more naturally than others would find it. Yeah. And um, there were no coaches. Nobody over there yeah. was actually a coach. We were all learners. Right. So uh, the community is now more mature in the sense that there are people who have spent time um, understanding that um, not everybody learns the same way. Mm. And have investigated different ways in which to help those people pro progress through different levels of those movements to achieve right. um, whatever it is they're trying to do. But also, I think Paco uh, has different attractions and emphasis for different people. Mm. Um, some people are just much stronger um, in their upper body and others are much stronger in their lower body. Um, and I don't mean I don't mean male versus female. I mean just people generally are. Right. Um, and that I think automatically um, means that people have a different emphasis between running versus vaulting and climbing. It also depends on the architecture that we are surrounded with. Mm. Um, Chennai 
by default is very flat and has a lot of spikes on their walls and glass shards on the walls. So we can't really, uh, we don't really have access to the kinds of architecture that Parker was developed on. Right. So we don't have staircases. We don't have walls to leap over or climb. And we don't have... Um... Paco developed in uh, France, but in relatively poor areas, right? So the houses were right next to each other. Not houses. These were apartment buildings. So you could, which is why it was so attractive in the movies, because for chase scenes, you'd be jumping from building to building. And uh, that's sort of how David Bell uh, and, so am I allowed well, to mention the name? <laughs> DV. DV and co got started, right? They would be... Well, movies are different because you can show a person jumping from one building to another and the buildings may not even be close to each other. Right, right. Um, so there's a lot of creative license in filming movies. I've seen, yeah. Um, but I think um, moving away from movies, the videos that people, practitioners made... Um, had the types of architecture that we just don't have access to over here. Um, what we found interesting that we learned from meeting Thomas and Andy is that something as simple as a, a ridge at the bottom of a wall hmm. could be a training spot. Right. So you jump from one spot to that and you can barely um, stand on that. But then you find a finger grip somewhere on that wall. It seems impossible. And it is impossible yeah. until you figure out how to balance yourself. Yeah. And then the impossible becomes possible. So that um, attraction, uh, figuring out balance and um, just seeing somebody do something that you hadn't thought about mm. um, and make that a training routine. Yeah. Papa's that has an attraction. Definitely a hands-on sort of thing. Like I remember Thomas saying that you're passing under a tree. Uh, you know, I mean, a tracer would know whether he can reach the branch, how high he or she needs to jump, all of that. Not theoretically, not I think. They know because they've done it like time and time again. Yeah. So and even the games they have to sort of get you into the, into the parkour mood. I remember reading up about how you, if you're walking along the pavement and you see a crack up ahead, you try and estimate how many steps it would take for you to get to the crack or adjust your steps so that you land square on the crack or right be, be, yeah. before that. The idea being, A, that this is playing and parkour is about playing, but also that you need to be able to make that assessment way faster when you're running towards a wall that you need to jump over. So, because, um, again, we have a stronger foot that we usually take off mm. with. So you need to be able to figure out whether you need to switch feet in between, change your stride length, or what you need to do to be able to take off from the right spot. Ideally, both your legs would be as strong and as, um, I mean, you wouldn't have a really dominant uh, takeoff leg. And a lot of uh, practitioners encourage you to, to mirror an action, right? Yeah. So if you're rolling with your right shoulder leading, then you automatically, the next roll you do with your left yes. so that there's a balance. So that you learn. Um... 
I remember one of the two things that I did also that leads to symmetry in development of muscles on both sides. Yeah. Two things I did after reading this, I remember this was more about the the side of the brain you're you're training, but I uh, started brushing my teeth with my left hand and I used the mouse with my left hand. That's and so that good. just like... I can't brush my teeth with my left hand. Now it feels weird when I use my right hand. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can do it, obviously, but it's weird. The, the, the left hand mouse thing freaks people out because they, they always wonder why the mouse is on the wrong side of the key, um, of the laptop. Yeah, I think parkour became interesting to me as it developed when, uh, like you said, initially it was the, the, the athletically gifted who were just doing it. Yes. Um, they weren't necessarily teaching it well because they didn't need to. They they didn't need to. They saw it and did it. But along the way, we then started having, like I remember I I came across the Australian parkour manual, which outlined the moves and it 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 was a document. So they didn't show anything, but they had tips about these are the mistakes that people usually make. And then they, they sort of helped me break each of these moves down. Yeah. But I think both you and I, so this element of growth and then um, incremental growth, set mm-hmm. a goal and work towards it, uh, mm-hmm. tie into the other thing that brought us together, which is exercise. Mm-hmm. We, we talked about this earlier, about how both of us, what we ended up taking from parkour more than anything is the, is the exercise aspect of it. I think that was always the, the goal, goal for right? me. Yeah, same with me, same with me. Um, being able to do the, the big moves was never, um, well... There was always the aspiration to be able to do that. But somewhere in the back of my mind, I knew that I was never actually going to try it. When did, when did we give up the muscle up? Because <laughs> we I tried it. You up. haven't. We went I for it for this, so... Dude. <laughs> okay. The, isn't that the same as having given up? No. no? At 80. I saw this YouTube video with 100-year-olds running a race. And I was thinking, that's what, that's what I want to do. Well, do you think you can't get the muscle up now? You're what, 37? It's possible. Now? Yes, 37. it's possible, dude. But, yeah, absolutely. But I have to get to, what do they say? If you can do 15 pull-ups, you can get... To, okay, so folks, I mean, we can, we can link in the show notes, but basically this is a way of doing a pull. Imagine the bar above you and then you're doing a pull-up, say your chest is to the bar, and then a muscle-up is where you transition from that to sort of a dip. And so then you end up above the bar. Uh, it's easier just to watch a video. But a lot of it is strength, but a lot of it is technique. So when Sushil says, mm, can you do it? It's like, yeah, we can build up the strength. And I don't have an excuse, basically. I, I, I admit that. But this is when you sort of realize that uh, yeah, it's going to take a lot of practice. Yeah. I've, I've gotten to, dude, I've gotten to um, the NFL now. I started, I got into it because of concussions and I wanted to um, learn about that. Have you had many concussions? No, no concussions, but I've started exercising. But, but this comes back to it, man. I think what, do you think parkour was something that was there for you at a point in your life? Do you think it's still a part of your life? That's interesting. Um, Paco, yes, was important for me for a long time. Um, sorry, sorry, just one second. All right, so I want you to watch this 
video, okay? Okay. It's by Mike Boyd. Okay. And it's how, how he learns to do a muscle oh, up. Oh, quick learn. Okay. Okay. Mike Boyd is a YouTuber. 2.26 million subscribers. Yeah. He's doing well. So what he does is he picks a skill. Oh, and he yes. Learns how and he to learns do this it. In a week. Right. In a week. Um, I, I is think. he an athlete? No, he's not. How do you learn to do a muscle up in a week if you can't do like... So I, I think he, for the most part, tries to do things in a week. Okay. okay. But he does stuff like trying to shatter um, um, a wine glass with his voice. Oh, so it's not always just physical. No, a lot of it is physical. Uh, I'm looking like at the... Yeah. Oh, holding his breath. Four yeah. minutes? Wow. Learn to spin a book. <laughs> um, how to... What is this? He does something with a basketball. What do you do with basketball? Saber champagne. Right. Okay, so yeah. So he does stuff like learning how to do stuff with a... Um, skateboard, basketball, how mm. to ride a unicycle. I mm. think he does that. Mm. Um, but he actually shows his progression with each skill. And right. muscle up is one of them. Mm. I think he's a little older than me. So if he can do it. Oh, no, no, no. We have a, we have a, a, we a window. Do we have a, we, yeah, the window hasn't closed yet. But do you still think of yourself as a tracer? No, I don't. I haven't don't. for a while now. Okay. And that is because um, I've stopped training towards that goal hmm. to being able to do specific skills in the parkour uh, repertoire. Right. So um, I think at that point is when uh, I stopped seeing myself actively as a tracer. Hmm. Although I did see myself for a long time as being a part of the community. For a long time. For Not a long anymore. Time. Now I see, I've, well, I, I saw myself as part of the community as long as I thought that I should do something to help guide the direction in which these things are, are moving. Mm. Uh, now I see myself more as an outsider. Um, but I still have a very strong interest in Paco. Okay. Which is why I still have this interest to document uh, parkour itself, the origins of parkour in India. Right. Which is what my new project is all about. Oh, what? tell me about that. What's this new project? Have I not told you about No, that? you haven't. Oh, shit. Okay. So my new project is basically, it centers itself around IndianParkour.org. Okay. And, um, oh wow, wait, there's an Indian parkour.org. Yeah, I've had that, dom I've owned that domain name for about 10 years now. You, you yeah, you thought ahead, you figured it would be useful at some no, point. No, it, it wasn't meant for this, it wasn't meant for this project, it was actually meant as a federation of parkour uh, associations. That's okay. what the domain was bought for, right? But that never happened, that never materialized. And so I've now repurposed that domain name hmm. to work for my project, which is basically to document uh, Parker groups across India. First of all, um, to get details of each of these groups, have a website where people can go and one, on one page or two pages, find the details of all of these groups all across India. Wow. 
find telephone numbers, email addresses, websites, Instagram, whatever you need. And hey, hello, hi, hi, no problems. Yeah, yeah, it's working. It's working. Good job. It's doing a good job. No, go away. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I will, I will. No, 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 no. I will, I will. I want. I will and I want. Yeah, I can make, I'm going to make tea for myself anyway. Your tea is ready though. You made the special. We can actually, do, do, do. Let's take a break and come back. Yeah, so we'll go, we'll come up in about two, two, three minutes. This is going well, man. I'm enjoying it. No, the reason I got frustrated is because I, for you once, I'd gotten into flow. Into flow. Ah. <laughs> so let's let's come back to it. Let's go. No, no, no. We'll. Uh, I'd rather talk Finish. about it now. Finish while it. you're in the yeah. yeah. Huh. So, so this is supposed to be a commu- uh, it's supposed to be a repository of information where people either from other communities in India hmm. or from people uh, or people across the globe can. Um, come to one website and on one page just get all of the information that they need. So, for example, if somebody is visiting India and they want to find um, a park or community close to a space that they are visiting, suppose they're going to the Taj Mahal in Agra. So, who's practicing park or close to them? You know, wow. uh, be able to just get a telephone number or an email address or get their Instagram and uh, just be able to find that in one spot. I don't think that there is such a resource currently. Mm. I believe there used to be um, websites like um, Paco Generations and American Paco used to have a worldwide community, um, like a listing. Okay. And people used to go and update that. I know that I did that for Chennai Paco. Um, but I don't think they have that anymore and I can see why they would not want to keep it because it's very difficult to update that data and keep it up to date. But, um, I think that is important and I am also looking at this as a historical resource. So I will maintain, um, details about communities that are no longer active. Okay. So this is kind of, um, so, okay. So once you go to that page, I am also hoping to be able to have, um, a little bit, you click on the name and you go to a page which has information in detail Hmm. about each of these communities. Okay. So maybe we have a couple of clips of their videos, um, and interviews. I, I actually plan to visit each of the communities um, make videos of each community. Wow, dude, seriously, what what keeps you? What draws you to this? I don't know. Because you don't train anymore, you don't interact with Chennai Parko anymore, but you still have the love to build communities. Uh, okay, here's another question: Outside of Parko, are you building communities? 
Like in your world of tax, are you do you are you part of a community there? I used to be, um, but that is because world of tax itself has communities the built setup. into it. Um, what I am doing, I'm trying to with podcasting. I think I, I realize I'm doing that now mm. because I've spoken to at least three, four different people who are interested in, in podcasting. Other birds say Paco, um, and I'm seeing what I can do with uh, with the possibility of introducing people across. So you're a connector. Uh, yes. They have a term for people like you. No, no, no. In um, Malcolm Gladwell's book, I think, I forgot what it, not a maven. He has four different types of people that sort of change communities' lives and connectors are one of them. You actually are two of them. You're an early adopter and you're a connector. Right? I should probably look yes. into this. No, no, no. But you are an early adopter, right? Like, I'm not. if there's a new app, I'm wouldn't not. you try? Wouldn't you? I would like to beta try. test something. I no. absolutely would, and um, I sometimes go out of my way to be a beta tester and offer feedback. Right. But I am not as much of an early adopter of tech as I would like to be, because I think an early adopter is someone who actually actively looks out for new technology. Okay. That's an important aspect of okay, okay. it. And over the years, um, while I used to do it, I no longer do that. Mm. Um, I've become more focused in other things um, with work. <laughs> so I don't have as much time or mental energy and space to explore something the way I like used, to. used to. But you still are, well, maybe not adopting things early, but with, with parkour, with this training, with, I mean, uh, forming this community. Right? Probably. Um, You're bringing people together there as it, well. Because, yes, I definitely was um, part of the first generation of Paco communities in India. Mm. And now I think it's moving on to the second generation. In fact, um, I had the opportunity to meet people, um, to train with people from uh, the UK and um, tour with them. And um, it was interesting that uh, one one of the people over there um, had started training in Paco as um, as a kid. I think he was seven or eight years old when he started training, and the person, the other person in the group, had trained him. Oh wow! Now this guy is uh, in his teens, probably in his early twenties right now, and is probably one of the biggest uh, parkour uh, athletes around right now. What's his name? Um, I'm not going to mention names. Oh, okay. Uh, but definitely, uh, he's extremely skilled. Wait, why, wait, wait, why can't you mention names? There, there's no reason why. Uh, okay, you just don't want to? We'll, we'll come to some other There's thing. a lot of mystery here that I've got to explore. Okay, fine. So, number two. Second thing that I'm going to talk to him offline okay, I, about. I'll mention, and then... I'll mention names. His, mm. his name is Joseph Henderson. Okay. Um, the, uh, he's called uh, Hendo. Okay, Joe Hendo Henderson. Yeah. Okay. Um, he's very, um, I mean, normal looking guy. Hmm. Very chilled out. He was uh, helping cut wood and stuff, cut metal and all that just over here oh, really? on a project that we were working, okay. working on. Only later did I find out that he is actually very gifted. But uh, sorry, you were going to say something else and I was thinking of this, so... No, 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 go for it. I was, I'm trying to explore the, the community for you. Sure. The way you experience community. So you're helping uh, no, this I new think, project of yours. You're yeah. helping bring communi parkour communities all across India yeah, together but, in a way. 
You're connected. You're, so for you're me, making them more accessible. Is for me, a- this is, yeah, I think that's a side effect though. Um, for me, this is actually a project where I'm exploring uh, filmmaking and um, various other aspects of um, media. Okay. I'm looking at how I can use um, a platform like this hmm. to develop an audience. Okay. Develop an audience to what end? Just to develop an audience. So like I said, um, the offshoot of that, developing communities and linking communities, will be an offshoot. It's not a direct intent, Mm. Um, at least in this case. Um, Earlier, it did have, my my work did have a direct intent of uh, communicating with other communities um, and making our community a little more visible in the world's eye. Mm. I don't think I still have that intention. Okay. So now what's it about? Now it's just about developing skills. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And in part two, we will find out why Rohan has traveled so far (laughs) to learn about podcasts. And And, uh, that's after we hear from our sponsors. Thank you. Still recording. Still recording. Well, that was fun. Oh, okay. I added it. Right, so we're back after the break. Yes, we are. And we were talking about community. You were finishing up about your project, the new project you were talking about. Do you want to ask any? Do you want to ask me anything? Or uh, are we done? Yeah, no. So you're creating a, a forum. F- well, you're sort of helping bring. You're listing the various groups, and in doing that, you're bringing the various communities together. Right? Is that your goal? Well, I I just want to create um, kind of a directory hmm. for people to be found. But the communities today are much closer than they were in the past. Okay. So I think this effort would have been uh, more useful a few years ago. Okay. But again, um, I don't think there's any problem with starting this effort and seeing where it goes. So again, this is not so much for the community as it is. I was just going to, yes. What's in it for you? It's more, it's more for me than for anybody else. But, but that, that's the fascinating part because you're not practicing. No one, you're not guiding anyone you personally know to any of these groups. So what is it that, that, that drives you to bring to the ancillary, ancillary benefit of bringing people together? Well, that could be anything, but I, the benefit is in creating a body of work, which is in terms of video and audio and photography, my goal. Ah, so your creative skills are being used. That is the core of the project. Got it. Got it. Got it. Whatever we have talked about so far is what the community might receive out of it. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, so if, if you want to look at it a different way, Hmm. um, that's my payment to the community for giving me the opportunity to conduct this project with them. Okay. 
So I kind of make a contribution in advance right. and say, I'm, I'm, I'm contributing the com- to the community in this way. Mm. Uh, would you like to help me? Okay. So for me, it's, it's a big project because it, first of all, would mean a lot of time and money. Mm. Second, it would mean I have to travel. Mm. I don't have funds for that. Mm. Um, all of that will come out of my pocket. So um, it's a matter of finding funds, finding time, and then trying to figure out how I can deal with different languages and cultures. Right. And all of that is a learning experience for me. That's quite exciting. So for me, I think it's, I think there's more benefit in it for me than for anybody else. I think there's benefit in it for you. But I think it's also, there's a lot of benefit for others. Uh, You, just to change uh, track slightly, have you ever had an incident with a park, in a park where you're practicing and young kids try and copy what you were doing? Did you ever have something like that? Because that gets a little hairy, right? Because you risking something is one thing, but young kids getting hurt, trying park. Well, um... I think young kids, uh, I've never had that sort of an incident to start with. Let me answer that. Hmm. But at the same time, I think young kids are more aware of their abilities than we are. Okay. Uh, plus, if they do get hurt, it doesn't, it's not your yeah. responsibility. Also, first. it doesn't hurt them as much as it hurts us. Well, so yeah, that's also true. Yeah. Um, plus, if they do get hurt, if a bone breaks or whatever, they heal much faster. Hmm. Um, so... Well, in another way, if you look at it from a different perspective, from the Parker perspective, it teaches them about themselves also. Right. So as long as you are not telling them, hey, do this or try to do this, I think it's okay. Right. Because they're exploring mm. by copycat behavior. I think that's fine. Um, I think it's also part partly your responsibility partly your responsibility to make sure that they don't do something that's dangerous. Right. But I think kids know what's really dangerous. Yeah. Um, Like jumping off of a a wall that's eight feet high, they would know Mm. that they're going to get hurt Mm. because they do that every day. I mean, playing on a physical basis much more than we do right now. So I think they should be able to assess danger slightly better than we can we right can. now. We opened with the whole, uh, how Paco, a lot of it is jumping and jumping off buildings. The, the public perception of Paco, at least in the early days, was some, somewhat soured because of these media sensationalized incidents of boys jumping off roofs and getting hurt. Is that an anomaly? I mean, I would think it's an anomaly. What's your take on that? Do you Getting know why? Hurt? Well, jumping off roofs, boys deciding that that's what their goals are. Well, I think that's very much a, parkour, a part of parkour even today. Mm. Like, for example, we spoke about this guy, Joseph Henderson. Mm. Um, Hendo. Hendo. Mm. Some of the most impressive stuff that he's done is jumping off roofs from one building to another in Greece and uh, various other places. Um Quite impressive jumps. The other one is um, he does stuff like uh, coming down a 
five or six story um parking garage hmm. in a span of 10 seconds wow so it is still very much an adrenaline kind of thing right it is still a you know visual spectacle um and joe is really he is really skilled he is also skilled and gifted. must be athletic as well he is gifted at athletically mm. for him um he has a lot of um spring power if you want to call it that okay so he's he bounces easily bounces. plyometrics yeah, yeah yeah absolutely um i think i've called him um um spring heel jack to like you on a forum in public no i mean to his face to his face when did you meet him uh, when he was down here in oh, india oh sorry so yeah, i yeah, toured yeah, with him i toured with him um spring hill jack <laughs> he must have laughed he's actually that good so i mean spring hill jack of course refers to the uh not so funny character in england in the middle ages not not middle ages the victorian era oh i haven't come across him what you should check it out okay. so this is supposed to be a spooky character who terrorizes women on the streets and then just bound away <laughs> when confronted by authority really? yeah is this um, a recent invention no no it's history it's historian era history yeah like jack the ripper there's like spring heel absolute jack or wow. the same thing in okay. fact um some in some cases they say <coughs> spring heel jack had glowing red eyes and claws and some people were actually um um hurt i think some at least a few people were killed wow okay so it's not a it's not a nice name to have attached to you but but he took it it was it was meant as a compliment because he actually is very skilled when it comes to doing jumps right one of the things that i think both of us uh helped the the, the documentary that helped both of us understand parko better was uh, pilgrimage yeah you remember that for right? sure what do you remember about pilgrimage what why do you think it was good for parko and for us i think pilgrimage is a good grounding in the basis and uh, the philosophy of parko mm. um i think many people today don't really understand the history behind parko mm. because um many people just come to it from their communities right um people around them who say i'm practicing parko do you want to try it or somebody saying we're having a parko workshop mm. why don't you come and try it out and they say what is parko and say this what you see here is parko it started in france but beyond that they don't understand why it started how it started where it started and some of the challenges that the original uh tracers used i think in a in many ways um the park the parko story is the story of a teenager coming of age and all of that stuff in the sense that you grow up to learn your responsibilities and who you are Yeah. find your strengths and weaknesses and build on them. Yeah. So that kind of is what the origin story of Paco was because these were people who are 
teenagers developing themselves finding out that they want to be strong mm. but they wanted to attach a purpose to it and attach a philosophy to it so they attached the philosophies of martial arts and uh, jackie chan and uh, all mm. of these other things mm. brought it together to um, be a modern day um discipline in many ways a martial arts uh, not martial arts but uh some sim- something similar to a martial arts discipline so understanding that background mm. um where it comes from and the architecture i think understanding the architecture of the origins is also important yeah. what do you think yeah i think so uh, what stood out for me from the thing was uh, from the documentary was the uh, leave no trace aspect yeah. of things the reason being because parkour is so physical and a lot of the time you're jumping off walls and jump and climbing on walls and leaving marks behind yeah uh, a lot of people especially the elderly who get scared when they see someone jumping off a um staircase that they're trying to climb up yeah uh they they start seeing parkour the same way as they see skateboarders mm. or mountain bikers as these these rowdy kids uh, the uh in fact i remember one of the tricks that in the early days they tell you to do is if you're practicing in a park and uh, someone comes up to you like a cop or something you get down and start doing pushups because they know what pushups are they don't know what you're doing uh, what you're doing is yeah climbing walls is rowdy behavior yes, doing pushups push-ups is, is discipline and no and interestingly i remember i was practicing in the park once and this was 2011 or whatever and um, this elderly gentleman was sitting on a bench and was watching me and after a while he was heading home and he passed me and he asked me are you training for the military i've been because asked this a few the, times yes yeah. that's the only reference they had someone yeah. who's crawling and rolling and jumping this must be a commando training something yeah. uh but so coming back to pilgrimage the reason i like that is because there was one scene. so the, the the documentary is about this american kid who decides to go to france lise which is where uh, david bell and all of that sort of uh, developed parkour um just to see because they'd been watching videos and heard all about the area and so they wanted to quite literally it was a pilgrimage for them so he he The documentary starts off with him saving money and then planning. So the documentary is about it's his journey there as well as his uh, it's sort of like a lonely planet guide for for uh, aspiring tracers. And so one of the things that they do is after training he noticed he and his friends noticed that there were lots of scuff marks on the wall. And they went and bought paint and painted over the wall to make it look better than it was when they first came. and that's an interesting aspect of parkour because like you said many of us grew up with parkour and we identified with it and we were learning about life through parkour and so a documentary like this which sort of got the philosophy behind it um aside from the brute force of jumping and climbing that that it it made the sport gentler for me or rather there was depth to the sport now um which i think is something that that interested me I, you must have experienced so, a similar thing right um probably um i i i don't know if i always had that impression of parkour because i was introduced to it through uh, the movie yamakasi which has that ah. thought behind it to start with 
but um i think right from the early days of me hearing the word parkour i also heard phrases like be strong to be useful mm-hmm. to be and to last things yeah, like that the, yeah. the catch phrases that people say are associated with parkour but um again going back to the fact that many people don't approach parkour from that um they see it as a way to show off right because it is showy yeah and so it attracts a lot of people who want to gain attention to themselves but the philosophy of parkour is not really that it is um something entirely different it's about discovering yourself and the training philosophy also is very much to repeat a movement um stuff phrases like once is never mm. and D- uh, the, the one that i liked was uh don't practice something until you get it right practice it until you can never get it wrong yeah stuff like that makes um people who want to approach parkour for the show off showy off act- uh, uh, aspect um it teaches them discipline and very often you'll find that people who just wanted to show off will disappear if you teach that to them mm. so um a documentary like pilgrimage if um i think if it is instilled in people who are learning about parkour if they see it early in their parkour careers then i think they understand parkour a little more early in their parkour careers and early in their training schedule remember the time when uh, thomas and andy came down and they they took a session for these are two tracers one from france and one from england and uh, they took us they took a session for us here in chennai and they had a a short circuit and we had to do a quadrupedal movement which is basically crawling uh just on our hands and feet knees don't touch the ground and um it was a complex well it wasn't that complex but you had to there were something like 15 of us and there was a course we had to follow and uh, some of it involved balancing so you could fall if you lost your balance you'd fall and the challenge was that all of us had to finish the course without anyone falling and if someone fell we'd have to start again this is a common everybody practice. would Everyone have to start again. again this is a military sort of a um it's a team building thing that you see in sports like uh football uh, american i mean american football uh i mean we see it on on tv and in the army where the idea being if one person if you are if you have penalized for one of your teammates failing then you have more commitment yes exactly so this particular exercise we spent 45 minutes doing it because everyone was just supposed to be a 10 minute warm up but they refused to let us go on and i could see how annoyed they were getting but they just refused in their mind if we had spent the full day doing this then that's what we would be doing that one learning would be worth spending that time yes. on in their mind and to your point about uh, uh show offs being chased away at least three or four people left <laughs> because they they had come to jump and climb and do some something dramatic and when this is all we're doing they left you know what i don't remember that ah, i remember this clearly because uh, I, at that point i couldn't imagine why they would leave <laughs> like right. for me i think because of uh, karate kid 
Yeah. For me, this was clearly wax on, wax off stage. I mean, this is just this is Absolutely. how you learn. How dedicated are you? Yeah, and I still remember at the end of it, I was pumping like we finally got it done, and I was like, yes, and I, <laughs> all of that. And Andy's looking at me quizzically because later on, I found out he did this with a bunch of like uh, eight-year-olds in England, and they finished it in like five minutes. So after forty-five minutes, my pride perplexed him <laughs> like you should be embarrassed not 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 happy but we went on to have a good session it was it was good yeah do you think uh so you said that you think that people the indian communities are communicating more than they used to yes it, is there an exchange like do people from chennai go to bombay regularly mumbai regularly and well now there are um there are um well not from chennai i think this is more of um people from pune and mumbai uh, interacting with people from um ahmedabad hyderabad mm. places like that i think there are decent interactions there are people from assam um meeting other people i know that at least one person has moved cities just to be able to train um with the people from mumbai Mm. and puna okay so that's good good to see that there are people who are seen as um as leaders in the community mm. especially in terms of skill right um i don't know about in terms of the philosophy but i believe that there are some people who are um are pretty good at that also Yeah it seems like with many things in life each person go um, explores parkour whatever aspect of parkour impress uh, interests them the most absolutely so the, the reason i brought up the whole pilgrimage being uh, deep in many ways is because i was i remember watching two different videos both of uh, both videos had tracers in them but one had these guys jumping over like 8 feet like gaps between buildings and there was heavy metal music playing in the background and there was aggression and the other one had this guy just flowing through uh rocks on a hill just and the music was this relaxing sort of uh, almost spiritual uh background and that's when it struck me about how these are very two different ways of approaching the same discipline um one of which was i mean maybe i'm oversimplifying it but was aggression and and show and the other one was was it, sort of like a martial the, the traditional sense of a martial art in that in that way uh so that that difference was was always apparent in my mind so it's interesting that you yeah you came in through yamasaki i came in sorry yamakasi yamakasi <laughs> you came in through yamakasi i came in through uh uh casino royale so yes you, you <laughs> yours was the more highbrow entrance okay let's get started again <laughs> okay i want to talk about life after parkour because neither of us are really training you mean after you're dead uh yes could be <laughs> could be after we're dead uh yeah then they'll do an autopsy and find out there's something wrong with our brains which i'm sure there is but are you do you train now no anything do you exercise now no i don't actually more interesting than that is tell us about your intermittent fasting 
because that's a huge you've done a deep dive into diabetes and insulin levels and all of that so um tell us about that man you've lost how many kilos <laughs> so she is uh, blushing if that's possible it's very possible huh <laughs> tell us man uh okay so um i think i should explain why i've had to take um all of those topics that you mentioned seriously and that's because um at the time that i was training parko i i was never over 60 61 kilos in weight and um by the end of um no uh, beginning of 2019 i had put on about 20 kilos from that i was almost 20 kilos heavier so whenever i did try to come back and practice parkour or even go back and jog or whatever i found that um i had a couple of problems first moving jogging at all would uh, hurt my knees which i already had a slight knee injury with second i found that um i felt very lethargic um actually i just wanted to say i didn't want to say lethargy but um that is true i did, I did feel lethargic the third thing is i would find that whenever i started doing any exercise i would get acid reflux yes i remember this i remember this even we would meet at minutes. a park yeah we'd meet at a park and we'd do a warm up and then your acid reflux would hit yeah so well i i don't know whether that is fixed as yet but for me acid reflux in general has um almost disappeared except when i overeat when i overeat comes back with mm-hmm. a vengeance so um what i found is that over the years i had started eating more carbohydrates mm-hmm. and that in turn leads i believe to a higher insulin level why i believe or you're just being well, you're because, just being modest no because it does, I, right? because i've not done any research into ah, it right so i don't okay. know i can only say that other people have researched it right a lot of people now yeah so i everyone well, yeah. i believe it to be fact right um until some new Proven. fact yes which comes and tells comes us up. that it's carbohydrates will save our lives yeah Well yeah that's what happened in the past right um the american uh, heart epidemic all yeah, that yeah uh so anyway so right now i have decided that um any diet that i have will be um relatively low in carbs although the last few months have been difficult to do that um but so i'm making sure i eat a little more protein fat more balanced diet than i was eating earlier i found that in the beginning of 2019 i would have had a full meal with a full stomach and then 15 minutes find myself 15 minutes later find myself hungry again yeah, like yeah. really hungry and obviously that was a cause of concern because i remember um especially my grandmother having that issue she was diabetic um and she would take her insulin uh, injection and um 
maybe an hour later she would be ravenously hungry we thought that it was because of boredom because she was not doing much mm. but then having seen that it is not actually that it's actually um a reaction that to is to the insulin shot yeah. uh-huh. it's it's actually a it's unavoidable is your like every cell in your body is saying i need to eat something now mm. um it's the, just the hormones right right so i figured out i had to do something about it and uh, that something turned out to be intermittent fasting it for me it has been the easiest way to keep um hunger under control and the second component for me was to um eat normally eat until you feel full but start off the meal with some protein with an egg or something like that mm. and i find that when i do that i fill up i feel um full much quicker having eaten less now you're doing some i guess for intermittent fasters it's not much but you're doing what minimum 16 hours you said of yeah. fasting yeah i found that even um so th- there are different cycles there's six, there's a 16 8 the 24 and um something else which has come up which is called the circadian rhythm mm. where you uh, fast for 13 hours i found that for me uh, even doing 13 i used to do 14 hours minimum but even doing 14 hours had a significant effect on my on the way my body reacted it's not the same for everybody some people need to do 20 hours for their body to react mm. um this is also in conjunction with other stuff that i had read about the arterial walls having a coating which uh is kind of destroyed when you have a high carb meal right and it takes um after that meal is finished it takes about 18 hours for that coating to regenerate okay and in the absence of that coating i believe um um uh ldls and ldls huh. uh, oh ldl the bad one yeah. <laughs> quote unquote bad one yeah. yeah actually starts sticking to the uh, arterial walls oh. and causing inflammation oh, 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 oh. which then cause the causes atherosclerosis or whatever Ath- it's called yeah yeah correct yeah so hardening of the the walls hardening the arteries, of arterial yeah. walls formation of plaque and all of that stuff so um my understanding is that you need that 18 hours if you especially if you have a high carb meal mm. for that to build up what is a high carb meal what constitutes a high carb meal well anything where you have maybe more than 30% carbohydrates okay so which in 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 india that would be yeah, most by meals. default yeah yeah <clears throat> but the yeah so no 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 i get all the benefits but here's my question because this is what i struggle with When you finish your fast, aren't you ravenous? No, no, no. In fact, um on most days I don't even realize that I need to break my fast. Sorry, that's now when you first start no. fasting. No? no, I did not. Wow. I I that's my problem. I finish my window, my fasting window, say it's 14 hours. 
I eat basically how much I'd be eating, how much I would have, I would have eaten anyway. Okay. I'm stuffing my mouth and then, uh, I end up overeating that day. So it's amazing that you could try something else. You could, uh, um, let me ask whether you start off with protein when you break your fast. Yeah. Yeah. Egg, egg and dal, lots of egg and dal. Dal is veg, high protein. I eat a decent amount of protein. Yeah. I have an average four eggs a day. Um, and, uh, shitload of dal. Actually, that was something I wanted to ask you. Okay. Four eggs a day on average. Hmm. And your uh, cholesterol is under control? Yeah, for now. Um, it's borderline, but that could be genetic. I'll tell you when it got really bad. It got really bad when I was, uh, I was reading up about how fats are not... <laughs> I mean, it's true, fats... Uh, so if you do the full keto diet, you're, you're living off fats. So I, this was way before keto was a thing, but I remember reading up about how fats are not a problem as long as you keep your carbs down. So I was having sausages and cheese and bacon and all of that. Um, breakfast would be like four sausages, a bit of bacon, some eggs, an omelet. I mean, made of, uh, that would make up an omelet. Okay, but that is more protein than Lots fats. of protein, yeah. So that and is lots not of good, fat. right? Yeah, it's not. So my cholesterol shot okay. up. It became really high. So um, now I'm safe. Now I'm safe. I'm so the upper limit the of key, safe is to control your protein right and have more fats right is right. that correct if you're going into ketosis yeah. yes if you're looking for ketosis that's what i understand yeah. okay uh you've never thought of messing around with keto in addition well, to, I to, to supercharge your intermittent fast i have huh. um in fact um i think uh alvina might uh might be going into that or uh, if not entirely in keto mm. uh, probably into uh, a very low carb diet. Okay. Um, I I would. I think a keto diet makes sense. Hmm. Not long term. Right. I think it does make sense um, for a period of three to six months. Okay. But I think socially and uh, in terms of being able to. <clears throat> Enjoy your Sustain food. it. Enjoy Variety. Life. Food variety. Socially is one thing, but it's in many ways quite restrictive. Yeah. Because you is. can't have a lot of fruits. You can have vegetables, but even that, you'd limit the kind of vegetables and the amounts. Zero carbs, or maybe what, less than 10 grams of carbs a day max. Ideally, you're staying off carbs completely. Uh, the, 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 one of the things that people bring up about keto is uh, how... Our ancestors went through like starvation was part of our DNA. But I'm thinking um, not if they had a choice. <laughs> they didn't have a choice. So is like I like what you're saying about short periods, a couple of months makes sense. But to spend the whole year in ketosis and year after year in ketosis, this keto thing is a, is a practice the way it is right now is, is recent, like small groups of people like the Inuits would be living off seal blubber or whatever. So it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next 10 years where people who've transferred into full-on keto now have 10 years on this diet. Uh, because they say it takes years, like if you have a, um, a vitamin or mineral deficiency, it may take years to show up. Okay. Uh, that's what I remember reading. And so I wonder whether 10 years from now, 
what happens. Right. But but you can argue, even if there are problems, is it more than a high grain diet? That's the question. Right? Sure. Because sure. high grain diets have been proven to have issues. Yeah. I think I think um the keto diet probably has a lot of benefits, especially for society in its current state. Right. Um but again, I think it should be used when required. Yeah. I think a low carb diet is more sustainable in the long term. It's probably um what we should work off. The uh, immediate benefit of keto, uh, uh, ketosis, I mean, a keto diet or even forget about keto, intermittent fasting is uh, you're not reliant on having food around all the time. So I think uh, even with soldiers in combat, it's supposed to be really useful because you don't have to keep eating. But that's again, um, intermittent fasting. Yes. But keto would make it Harder, very huh? difficult. Ah, right? The kind of food you keep with yeah. you. Yeah. I also, have... the fact that you need energy as a soldier and carbs are probably the most efficient energy pathway. Yeah. Yes, definitely. They, they say you can switch to keto, but for high uh, intensity stuff, mm-hmm. carbs, like these are like, I remember, who was it? Um, one of these uh, ultra marathoners was uh, talking about how he's usually on a keto diet, but okay. around the time of the marathon, he will switch to uh, um, high carb because he needs the car, even though it's a, uh, endurance activity and you think you want to be on in, i mean you think that ketosis would be fine for that apparently not if you're competing if you're competing you need to have uh how would stores. ketosis be better for uh slow burn right your your if it's a high intensity activity hmm. like a sprint you would need muscle glycogen hmm. but if it's a slow uh inten- i mean low intensity but endurance activity the idea would be that your muscle, that you'll burn the fats at a pace. It's like a slow burn, right? But don't right? marathon runners uh, carb load before? Uh, they do. They do. So this guy you is don't saying, need a lot of carbs. Yeah, yeah. So this guy is saying he won't compete on uh, a keto diet. Yeah. I mean, he'll switch towards a high carb diet, to a high carb diet around the time of the race. So I suppose that that is obviously grounded in science. So. He, well, yeah, he's, I mean, he, he lives it, right? It, this is what works for him. Uh, but those guys are insane, man. Guys and girls, they had that Courtney DeWalter on uh, Joe Rogan. And she was talking about how um, she would hallucinate. Uh, actually, this brings me to you. you. You could actually do uh, long distance running because A, you've lost a shitload of weight. And okay, we, so I want to talk about the effects because we didn't get to that. Huh. So um, let me quickly talk about that and right. then we'll come back to whatever you're saying. Courtney, yeah. Um, so I've lost, um, I've gone from 79.9 to 63.4. So I don't know, you calculate how many that is. It's about 16 70, kilos. 16, yeah, 17 kilos. 16, 17 kilos. Um, for me, that was a huge uh, difference in weight. Um I feel much more able to uh, do things. I can only imagine. I lose three kilos and I can run up hills better. I can't yeah. imagine what it's like to lose. Uh, actually, I can. I, I lost 20, but then I was 20 kilos, o- like significantly overweight. So then it, it is the same thing. Yeah, it's a huge, huge I couldn't run. <laughs> I, I hit 90. I couldn't run at okay. 90. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so, but you look now, for a long time you were losing weight, but you didn't look like you, you were saying you didn't look like you had lost weight, but now you do. Now you do look like you've lost weight. 
Okay. And you're, uh, so you're down to 63? So, so I'm down to 63.4 as of today. Wow. Um, I did put on some weight when uh, around my birthday, <laughs> eating too much of cake. <clears throat> but it's worth it. <laughs> but that's the thing. You've lost this weight without restricting what you're eating. Correct. You just changed your timing. That's it. I've, no, I, I have changed what I eat and that's the low carb part. But you're eating all food, right? You I will am. have sugar. You will have fruits from time to time. Oh, but you don't like fruits. I have... I have uh, changed how much of sugar I okay. take. Huh. For example, I used to take three spoons of sugar in my tea, huh. and now my tea is zero sugar. Okay. Um, it used to be three and a half in my coffee, and now it's a half spoon of sugar. Why? Coffee is yum without sugar, no? I can't okay. have it without sugar. Okay, okay. I love the taste of coffee, the bitter, the kick of coffee. Tea, I can't do with it. I mean, I can do it, but I feel sorry for myself without, <laughs> without sugar for some reason. I think that's because you have tea the traditional Indian way. Yeah. You have black tea? I have it the... Uh, the uh, British way. British way. Ah, okay. Like a light tea with just a... Splash of milk. Of, oh, yeah, I love lots of milk. milk. Alvina made it perfectly today. Um, yeah, so you've lost weight. You have more energy. And that's where I think you'd be good at long distance running. Because you... I can't that, run. I've never been able to run. Now, have you tried now with your knees? Listen, one thing which I've been practicing now is uh, a friend of mine um, in uh, uh, Kuti, uh, Rohan in Bangalore, he's uh, done kinesiology, he's like, he's into fitness. And he was talking about the biggest mistakes, the mistake that runners make is when they stop running to restart at the same load they were doing earlier. Their knees, I'm especially at that. our age, our bodies can't do that. So what I've started doing is um, 10 minute runs every alternate day. Uh, and I'm going to do that for a, for, a, for a month. And then I'll move to 15. Uh, and so far, my knees have been fine. Earlier, uh, if I jogged regular, I stopped jogging because my knees were acting up. What was happening to your knees, actually? Mm, actually, it wasn't What's really jogging. It was uh, when I sprinted. My right knee, the outer side of the joint... There would be around here, there would be a, a dull ache. Do you know why? No, no idea. Okay. So I've seen a doctor huh. and he's told me in no unclear terms, this huh. is a, a surgeon. Huh. Okay. Uh -oh. He told me, uh -oh. don't do squats. Okay. Don't run. Okay. Don't fold your legs and sit on the floor. Why? So what happens is I have a meniscus tear. Oh. And my knee. So I have bits of cartilage floating, floating around, around my knee. And doing any of this stuff will only damage it more. So wait, so he says don't do this for life now? Essentially. Um, of course, there are dis different disciplines. A sports um, physician will have a different take on this. Mm. And I definitely do need to see a sports. And what about, like we had talked about this and you said with parkour, you can strengthen the muscles around the joint so that that is not generally not parkour but pretty much life, anything yeah. yeah you need to strengthen your supporting muscles and make sure that your joints don't take the force of any impact including running and walking right so i think that still applies but it also does mean that there the movement in the joint mm -hmm. itself it's happening will make that um the impact of those pieces much worse. So, so technically, this, huh? what they say is that while I do need to strengthen my knees, and uh, meaning 
the muscles around my knees, um, I do have to be careful about how I use those joints. For life? Or till the, does the meniscus heal? No, it does not. It won't heal? It does not. Oh my God. So the only way to make it... <laughs> Maybe I should see a doctor too. <laughs> yeah, you should. So the only way to um, reduce the impact is to do... Uh, typically what they would do is do a keyhole surgery mm. and remove the pieces that have broken off or if they have broken off. Mm. And they will go ahead and smooth out the actual tear okay or wherever it's damaged mm. <coughs> excuse me to make sure that the um surfaces are surfaces that touch each other mm. are not rough okay so they don't degrade further okay so it's like polishing up the cartilage right. so that it's smooth that's the from what i know that's the only way uh, that things can get better Dude, that's depressing. beyond that it's uh, knee joint replacement Okay, so you're saying, according to this surgeon, yeah, you can't run again. Not you can't. can't well, don't. In effect, don't. So to, which means can't. Probably. I definitely need to see another doctor about this. <laughs> but this is not just what he has said. It's also what I have read up, read up on the internet. Hmm. That makes me an expert, by the way. This is just- <laughs> no, the reason I'm, I've got skeptical hippo eyes is because... Uh, I, uh, they talk about how, for example, you have back problems operate yeah. a lot of the time. See, now this, but this guy has not said joint deloading yeah. as a, you've seen that reverse hyper machine. No. Uh, yeah. So it's a basically, a, I mean, I can, I can demonstrate. It's hard for me to explain, but you can find it on YouTube. It's a way of deloading the spine. Mm. Uh, and that reverses a, some issues where, which a doctor would say you need surgery. Right. Uh, so yeah, it's interesting. So again, um, I think what you're talking about is doctors looking at the same problem from two different perspectives. It's, um, uh, for someone with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I agree. So, um, for a sports physician or a specialist who is trying to get the person back up and running, Mm. performing, they have to look at it from a different perspective. They have to look at how you can get that person to heal mm. without uh, and keep moving in the direction that they want to. And that's performing. Right. Um, so in my case, I would definitely prefer to see a sports physician. At the same time, this doctor who is a surgeon mm. has not said we need to operate. Okay. He has just said, he, he told me to go see, um, um, what's the... Orthopedic, orthopedic surgeon. No, uh, uh, the people who help you to uh, rehab guys. Rehab. Uh, What's that? Call them rehab. <laughs> physiotherapist. Yeah. Physiotherapist. Yeah. Yeah. So he asked me to go see a physiotherapist, uh, strengthen my muscles hmm. and my back, and um, squats and deadlifts. Avoid <laughs> squats. <laughs> Probably do deadlifts. Right. I don't know. No, they say, uh, yeah, I enjoy deadlifts. I've recently I started, uh, squatting again because I realized my bad form was because of, um, ankle flexibility issues. Mm-hmm. So I raise my ankles. I put them on a raised surface slightly. So my, even people who, uh, lift, they usually wear lifting shoes, which is like a sort of like a high heel in that sense. Your, your heels are higher than your toes. Okay. So when I raise my ankles, mm-hmm. I can, my form is perfect. 
Okay. So I have back, I have hip flexibility. Um, I have back flexibility. That's fine. It's just my ankles that were causing me to lose form. But many doctors will say, don't load your spine doing weighted squats and definitely don't do deadlifts. So, um, because there are other ways of strengthening your back, like back extensions. You see what they do in the park, right? You're on the parallel bars. Yeah, that's supposed to, if you do it right, you can hyperextend your back that way. But if you don't hyperextend it, I think that's supposed to be healthier because you're not loading your spine the way you are with a deadlift. Apparently, I don't know. But dude, if a doctor told me you can't run again, I would I would sink into depression. This I love running. I don't run. I love running. I don't oh, run anyway. So wow. for me, uh, cycling cycling was the big thing. He um, said, "Don't cycle. Change your doctor." Well, no. <laughs> it's, it's Here's my thing. advice: change your doctor till you find someone who's saying what you want to hear. <laughs> then stick with that guy. Oh wow! Yeah. What freaks me out? So, shall we end on this depressing note? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> what what uh, um, freaks no, but actually, what we can end on is wait. I'll come to that. <laughs> what freaks me out is that um, there my this uncle of mine. Um, I think this was in his late fifties. No, yeah, maybe fifty six, fifty seven. He stopped. Uh, no, so he and his friend, same age, uh, would go for walks, and his friend decided, I'm going to stop walking because my knees are hurting. And I want to preserve whatever I have left. That's the opposite of what I would think. Yeah. And this uncle of mine said, no, I'm going to, I'm going to walk. I'm going to exercise. 10 years later, my uncle can't walk anymore. Hmm. Now, meaning he can walk, but he can't exercise walk anymore. And he was at, at, at a dinner the other day. He was saying how, you know what? I wish I'd listened to my friend. Yeah. Now, this isn't a controlled experiment because that friend can't walk either. So you don't know whether if my uncle had stopped walking, he could have walked for longer. But that this is a doctor, not the doctors are always right. But this was a doctor saying um, this, which I would have thought the opposite. So that bothers me. But, but so talking about exercise physiologists, my friend, he and this is the exercise guy, uh, Rohan from uh, Bangalore. He and I were at a park. Uh, we were working out and I could see this elderly woman walking around the park and uh, she looked like she would have been in her late eighties. She was old. She looked really old. And I was like, wow, at that age, I wish I could, I wish I'd be walking like her. And my friend paused for a minute and said, walking, I want to be running. <laughs> and that made me smile. That's, that's what I want to be. I, yeah. I want to have that attitude. Yeah, I, I agree with the attitude, but I may not work I've with never, a meniscus stair. <laughs> I, I was no, I, I've never been a runner. Right, um, right from a very young age, I've never been a runner. So I appreciate the sentiment, but I would rather be cycling. Cycling at that age, yeah. then yeah, yeah. Yes, we should definitely we'll, we will do other podcasts, but we should definitely do a podcast in fifty years and see where our knees are at that age. I want to see please listen to, in to bringing it to bring it back. I want to see where David Bell or Daniel Ilibaka or whatever what their knees are like when they are. Do you know what Daniel Ilibaka is doing these days? No, what's he doing? He's rollerblading. He switched. He switched. He's rollerblading <laughs> and doing parkour on rollerblades. Amazing oh, so stuff. he hasn't switched then. Okay. He's thin, thin rails and like jumping. this. Oh no, man. Rollerblading across them. No, man. One inch Daniel, wide rails. Daniel, please listen to me, Daniel. Please stop. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm on his side. I'm on his side. But okay. But 
oh, okay, you don't like talking politics, but let me try this. Didn't he make a couple of enemies because he has a bit of attitude and uh, wasn't he the one, one of them with a uh, little arrogant? Uh, well, I had a problem with him uh, about um, some of the things he said, okay. but, but uh, I really like the way he moves. So right. that's undeniable. I've seen him. He's, uh, I mean, I've seen him on, on videos. He's, he's amazing. Okay, man, I think we've had a good conversation. We will definitely do another podcast, but uh, anything else you want to add? Where can people find you? Um, this The stuff you're doing, this project that you're taking up? Yeah. The project is at indianparko.org. Okay. And, um, okay, let's say that again. So the project is at indianparko.org. And... You're other active stuff, on in Instagram, right? Other stuff we will have in the links in the show notes. Perfect. Okay, man. Let's, this let's has not been, make this a promo. This is <laughs> let's make the whole thing a promo. Brought to you by you know what? We should choose stuff that we like and then start plugging those products. Yeah. Hoping that the companies will approach us. Oh, <laughs> yes. Um, this has been fun, man. Until next time. See you folks. Bye from me. And bye-bye. Yeah.